The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, and from what we hear, it's true. So let's see what the buzz is today. Oh my, interesting topic. So I have a quote here from Josh Burson, who has been on our show a couple of years ago. He was writing in Forbes recently, and the article was entitled, Why Does HR Get So Much Grief? You can pull a couple of buzzwords out of that and and get an idea of what we're talking about. So let me read the quote. Quote from Josh Burson. While efficiency, service delivery, and process rationalization are important, our research shows that HR organizations provide nearly four times greater impact by focusing on leadership skills, management practices, and hiring and developing great people. So the HR function has to think of itself as talent consultants, not service deliverers. Hmm, what is he talking about? Let me give you a little historical lookup back over our shoulder in time. HR evolved way back in 18th century Europe. Did you all know that? I found that out. During the the Industrial Revolution. It was a simple idea proposed by Robert Owen and Charles Babbage. What was the goal? To structure, organize, pay, and develop the people who lead and execute companies on their business strategy. Let's fast forward to today, 2017. With the advent of technology designed to support HR, and you know there's a lot of it out there, and with growing organizations need to scale bigger, think global, think new markets, think hiring employees in different marketplaces and having remote workplaces. Oh my. Management has shifted its mindset to view and evaluate HR based on efficiencies. How well are you getting it done? More than on people. This is where we hear a boo-hoo. Okay, so what do employees say about this? Well, they're not too happy. The workforce is demanding HR up its game and put the human back into human resources. Sounds like a title of a song somewhere. How are they going to do it? Well, that's what we're here to find out. We have a stellar panel of three experts, and they really are. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up, in just a moment, I'm very pleased to welcome Tim Aldridge, HCM Innovation Leader for EY's SAP America's Service Practice. And a shout-out to all of our good friends at EY. And thank you to Tim for taking time to join us. Uh, also, another newcomer to the show, James Sinclair. He is the co-founder and principal of an organization 
organization called Enterprise Jungle. One word. We'll find out from him what he does. And rounding out the panelists, our good friend of Game Changers Radio, Dr. Patty Fletcher, leadership futurist at SAP Success Factors. And if you're not familiar with Patty, you should be because she sponsors one of our stellar series here on Game Changers, Changing the Game with HR. And that's what we're talking about today here on Coffee Break. So let's get started. Tim Aldra sent me a quote from FDR. That's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 1882 to 1945. Uh, he was the 32nd U.S. president from 1933 until his death in 45. And interestingly enough, he is often rated as one of the three greatest U.S. presidents. Can you guess who the other two are? George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Nobody recent has made that list in a long time. Here is the quote. This is a doozy. Quote, if I went to work in a factory, the first thing I would do is join a union. Tim Aldrich, what a great quote. How are you, Tim? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about the quote. I was amused. I was intrigued. I looked it up. It's a real quote from FDR. We're talking about humanizing HR. Talk to me, Tim. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I saw, you know, kind of there during that, that World War II era with FDR is is a recognition of, of how to bring people along. I mean, in, in, here in the U.S., that's the area we think of as our Great Depression. And and that, that quote, for me, really touches on some of the things that you hear Josh Burson kind of allude to in that, that, that quote you mentioned. You know, mm-hmm. ultimately, large, complex enterprises, um, you know, have to be figuring out how to get the most out of their people, having the right people in the right place, doing the right work. And when FDR kind of made that, that quote, he was dealing with a public that was struggling uh, to get workers' rights in place, that was struggling mm-hmm. uh, to understand how to be a part and believe in their society. And he was also struggling to get, get reelected. And so it was, it was a way for him, as you think of him as a CEO of the company, you know, mm-hmm. to really try to take an entire workforce and get them on his side by saying, I understand what your needs are. And the first thing I would do if I were in your shoes is go to a group of people that listen to your needs. And it was, it was a game changer for him. But I think it's, it's an example uh, to, to anybody who wants to get the most out of their people about what to pay attention to. And that is the true needs of their people. Very interesting. So, so Tim, let me pose the question. Would HR be wise to be meeting with their or its, depending on which pronoun you prefer, people and say, we do hear you, we do get you. Yes, we're trying to change our ways. We're trying to be progressive, not regressive. We're Well, maybe regressive to a time when there was human and human resources. Would HR be best suited to have that discussion Verbally with a group of people. What do, what do you think? What's the best way forward? I know we're talking about technology today, but let's let's keep it human for a moment. What's your POV? No, you know, I think it's it, it, it's the perfect question. And in, in, in most organizations that I see, HR is at its best, where it's not necessarily leading that conversation, but it's helping the organization, the enterprise, facilitate it. Right? You know, when we look at solutions these days, it's about any consumer grade market employee-facing solution. It's about getting to those conversations between, say, the workforce and the management or the leadership so that they're all aligned, so that the, the workforce understands and believes in the purpose of the organization, but so that, and, and, and then that the leadership can, can feel that they have their people pointed in the right direction. And so I think that, that's really the role of the HR is to figure, whether it's with technology or whether it's through action and, and sort of events or what, whatnot, is to help be the broker of that conversation and relationship. Thank you very much. I'm very encouraged by that, Tim Aldridge. Thank you. Now that you explained the quote, I really get it. At first I said, what? And then I realized, yeah, 
listening, somebody to listen to you and fight for you. I appreciate that, Tim. We'll be back to you in just a couple minutes. Now it's with great pleasure. I also welcome another newcomer, James Sinclair, co-founder and principal at Enterprise Jungle. And when we get to the part about what's in your cup today, we'll find out what he does. But James has sent us another very interesting quote. It's partly from Phil Dunphy. Now, those of you scratching your head, I've heard that name. Well, think about the TV sitcom, award-winning, I must say. It's been on since 2009, eight seasons so far and counting. I think it's one of the funniest shows on TV. It's called Modern Family. Very interesting show. And Phil Dunphy is played by Ty Burrell. He's so popular, he's doing advertisements for almost everything on TV. And Phil's Osophy, that's a play on philosophy, he says some pretty crazy stuff about some pretty crazy topics. Uh, Ty Burrell, in case you don't know, is an American actor who actually started playing Macbeth on Broadway. He was born in 1967 and then he rose to fame on Modern Family. But, I'm going to read the quote in a second. I have to tell you that the quote originated, it is believed, the substance of the quote from a lady named Catherine Abbott Sanborn, who lived from 1839 to 1917, a niece of Daniel Webster. She's an American author, teacher, and lecturer who started earning money by writing at the age of 11 and was a teacher of English Lit at the age of 17 and taught at Smith College. That's all I'll say. Very interesting lady. So here is the quote. Now, everybody get out your calculators. Oh, come on. Take a pencil. you got to figure this one out. Success is 1% inspiration. 98% perspiration and 2% attention to detail. No, it doesn't add up at all. James Sinclair, thanks for the smile. How are you today, James? I'm good. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for the quote. So tell me, I I know Kate Osborne's version of, Kate Sanborn's version of it adds up to 100%, but Phil Dunphy's doesn't. So tell me which one you like and what kind of math are we doing talking about humanizing HR? Go ahead, James. Yeah, so I think I chose that quote for three reasons. I think the most important reason to me was when you talk about humanizing HR, the first thing you've got to do is be human. And one of the greatest ways to be human is to smile and to have a laugh and to enjoy a process. And I think as we see all this business transformation go forward, one of the things we're seeing is technology and process is more enjoyable and less of a burden. And that's how companies are really engaging their workforce by making it a positive, enjoyable experience and a smile. The second reason I chose that quote is because I think, and it goes to your point, that this is an iteration of someone else's quote, that everything's an iteration, and it's just about trying stuff and taking what someone else has tried, adding your own couple of cents and seeing if you can make it better, make it different, make it yours, see if it can work in a different scenario. And the third that I think is kind of the most important is it does take a lot of perspiration, it does take a lot of hard work, and it does take a lot of luck be able to create things that work out the gate. So the greatest thing you can do is just do it and get on with it and try. And so those are the kind of the three pillars that made me laugh about this quote. But primarily, it just made me smile. I love it. It made me smile, too. And I was looking it up. I think when you sent it to me, James, I sent you a note and I said, wait a minute, this didn't originate. I think it actually came from Thomas Edison. He had one of those mathematical quotes on it as well. And there's a big debate. Uh, You want to smile, James? Go to Quote Investigator and look this up. And there's a debate. Who said it first, Thomas A. Edison or Kate Sanborn? And then fast forward so many years and we find that it's from Phil Dunphy, Ty Burrell on TV on one of his quote pages. It it did make me smile, yes. Do you think it's too late? I'm going to pose a very odd question to you, James, but I think you're up for it. Do you think it's too late for HR to try and put the human back? Do you think people are saying, 
nah, I don't trust them, I don't like them, they're not there for me, they're just another branch of the corporate machine, they're going to not like what I say, they're going to blab it, nothing's confidential. What do you think, James? Is there still hope for humanizing HR, honestly? I think that's an individual question. I think for me, not only is it not too late, it's just the start of what we're seeing. Uh, You know, I am now in HR, and when you tell people who are perhaps not in the enterprise or not in large corporates, I'm in HR, you know what they're thinking. And we all know what they're thinking. And I have no interest in that thought. I'm interested in HR is just perhaps a name associated with what we're doing, but managing our people and taking great care of our people and developing leaders and finding solutions and delivering better business has got nothing to do with HR. It's just better business. And so I don't think it's a matter of time. I think it's about the people, the technology, and the ability for all of us to come together to make change that, uh, that makes it. And for me, very personally, I have no interest in a dark cloud hovering over the word HR uh, when it relates to our technology. And so it's an individual uh, perspective for me. Thank you very much, James. There is hope in there. I appreciate that. And now let me bring on our third panelist waiting so patiently, Dr. Patty Fletcher, on so many of our shows because HR is a top-of-mind topic today, Patty. I know you agree because everybody has to have something to do with HR if you work it. Even if you're just starting a company, eventually if it gets big, you're going to need HR. Patty has introduced us in her quote today, I'll read in a moment, to a young man known on TV and on YouTube as Kid President. He's played by actor Robbie Novak. I don't know how old he is. I didn't find that. Uh, but he's featured on YouTube videos and in a TV show produced by actor Rain Wilson's media company, Soul Pancake. There's an interesting production for you. Uh, the concept of Kid President was created by Novak's brother-in-law, Brad Montague, with the simple goal of uniting grown-ups and kids. I'll just leave it there. And here is the quote. And it's a very grown-up quote, Patty, from a kid. The quote is, if it doesn't make the world a better place, don't do it. I could, I could see him wagging his finger. Patty Fletcher, how are you? And are you a big fan of Kid President? I'm a huge fan of Kid President, and I'm great, thank you. Good, I, I'm glad you're I know you're I, great. I, you're always, I you're always great. I came contact with him, yes. uh, gosh, like four or five years ago, or whenever he first started at um, TEDx Teen, and just fell in love. It was captivating, and it was captivating to be surrounded by so many young people just staring at him and writing the stuff down that he was saying. It was, it was fantastic. Wow. And you know something? It's interesting, but the actor has a disease that makes him susceptible to bone damage. Did you know that, Patty? I did not, he has, no. He has osteo, osteogenesis imperfecta. He's had over 70 fractures, and oh. sadly, he's been a victim of bullying. So message for HR, let's make sure we have diversion and inclusion, diversity and inclusion, not diversion, in our workplace, and, and we fight bullying. I, can, I think I can say that very strongly here. Thank you, Patty. Very, very interesting. It's such a grown-up quote, though, Patty, if it doesn't make the world a better place. This is from, might be from the mouths of babes, but it's such an important view, worldview. Do you agree? It, it has so much depth to it. Yeah, I do. And, and so many of his quotes, and if, if folks aren't familiar with him, follow him on Twitter, look him up on, on, um, on the web. It, it, it's so funny. Every single one of the quotes that are written for him or, or he delivers um, himself are very, very simple. They're very childlike in their simplicity, but very adult in their how profound they are. And with this one, for, for this particular radio show, it's a few things. It, it goes back to really what all of you have said, 
it is important that we remember what human resources really is about. The truth is efficiencies, um, effectiveness of process, making sure you're delivering the technology that is addictive, that's essential, that's fun, as James says, those are so important for HR to do. They absolutely should be focused on talent, but the truth is they are a bit service delivery, um, and that is not going to go away. But what's so important is that they ask themselves why. Why do we have this people strategy? Why are we changing this process or keeping this process? Why are we investing in this technology? And if the answer isn't because it makes the world a better place for the people who work, represent, and evangelize for us, then we probably shouldn't be doing it. And that's how you infuse the human back into what HR does. Thank you. I think the show is over. <laughs> I, think, I think between you and Tim and James, I think we covered the whole topic. No, we have a lot more. Let me circle back around the table to Mr. Tim Aldrich and find out, Tim, where are you calling from today? And we'd love to know either what you're drinking, as in what's in your cup today, or Tim, what's the drink that makes you smile the most, whether you're thinking about HR or HCM or not? What makes you the happiest in your cup? Tim Aldrich? Well, I am in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina today, and I'm actually drinking black coffee, which is a little boring. But, but normally, uh, I, I like to drink a flat white, which I think actually came out of Australia, is what I heard. Mm-hmm. That's sort of my yeah. go-to beverage. And what do you like about a flat white? I think my, my son-in-law makes an awesome flat white in their home in uh, Durham, North Carolina, when I visit them, hey. and he makes it with his Breville machine, and it's wonderful. What do you like about a flat white? You know, I, um, I don't really like overly sugary drinks, but I also like you know, a little bit more than just putting some sugar and milk in it. So it's kind of a good in-between for me. Well, I have a quote for you from Hugh Jackman talking about uh-huh. flat white. He says, it's like a latte with a little less milk and a little more espresso. You like that one? I do. That's, that's pretty much what it is. It's a little bit more edge, a little bit more cup. That's why I like you, because we both like flat whites. There you go. Thank you, Tim, very much. And by the way, I will be, are you down there permanently where you are? Is that your home base, or are you just visiting? Uh, I am. I live in Charlotte. I'm based out of here, but we get around. Okay. Well, I'll almost be your neighbor in about eight weeks. I'm relocating to Durham, so I will be be down there broadcasting from there. So I'll wave to you from Durham, okay? I think we will. I like that. It's a date. Thank you very much. And now, James Sinclair, rumor has it you're not in the U.S. today. I know you called us from somewhere. So, James, where are you? Tell me what you love to drink and then toss in 60 seconds of what is Enterprise Jungle. Go ahead. James? Well, thanks, Molly. So, I am in, uh, I'm in Venice, Italy. I'm uh, visiting some customers in Europe and had the opportunity to uh, take a quick train trip up to the city and, uh, and enjoy it with my family. So I'm uh, sitting on a canal with a black coffee and really couldn't be happier. I'm very glad you couldn't be happier. Now, black coffee, is this, uh, is this something special, Italian? Is this a really dark blend? Anything you want to tell us about the flavor of that? It sounds good, but anything more specific? This one is, is like sludge currently, um, <laughs> and I can't work that that's how it's supposed to be or not, but, uh, but I don't want to be the guy who, uh, who says, is it supposed to be like this? So I think it's an authentic black coffee, but you have no idea if, uh, if it is or not. Either way, it's black, it's coffee, and it's doing the job, and that's what's important. 
I, I agree with you. I had coffee like that in, in Cancun, Mexico, several decades ago. The darker and the sludgier it was, the more I liked it. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Now, tell us, what is Enterprise Jungle? Where are you based? What do you do? Just briefly. Purple. We're based in Los Angeles, California, and our flagship product is called Enterprise Alumni, which manages the alumni and retiree community for large organizations. One of the things we found that was so interesting was the amount of money companies spend to hire and find new people, the enormous amount of investment they put into developing them, retaining them, training them, and then when they leave, more often than not, well, it's a, uh, well, we wish you good luck, have a nice life. And we felt that there was a real need to continue that investment after they leave, especially as leaving is now almost uh, a given. There's no longer a lifetime career. People are floating through jobs. People have multiple jobs. People have side gigs. And what we realized is that the alumni community is probably the most qualified talent pool to serve your company on a contingent basis there is. And so that's what our software does. It it manages and uh, brings the alumni together and enables uh, large enterprises to access that uh, talent base for projects, uh, for re-recruitment, for referrals, evangelism, sales, whatever it might be. But the point being is it's a very large community uh, that for for many years has been ignored by many companies, not EY, who have a thriving and brilliant community. You know something? I have one word to say for what you just described. Yay! Just going to let that one sit. You get it. Thank you very much, James. And we are so delighted that you're taking time out of the fabulous trip you're on to join us today. So thank you extra. Patty Fletcher, where are you? I know you're rarely without a suitcase going from airport to airport, but are you are you settled somewhere today? And what are you drinking that makes you smile especially? Patty Fletcher. Um, I am home today. I'm home for a few weeks as I'm finishing up uh, the the final first full draft of my book coming out in January. So I've smoke coming off my fingers as I'm typing in between calls and in meetings. Um, and what I'm drinking today is good old fashioned Dunkin' Donuts um, coffee. Mm. But I have my favorite. I I, I don't drink dairy. Um, and so I found Califia Farms almond milk is unbelievable. It's so good. So that's what I'm drinking. Really? What was the name of the farms? I have to look that one up. Califia Farms, C-A-L-I-F-I-A. And they're starting to show up in, in grocery stores around the U.S., I believe, because I'm finding it a bit easier to, to get their, their products. It hasn't been so easy. And um, Very I know that they are, yeah, they're mm-hmm. coming to the U.K. and a few other places. Yep, GMO-free, healthier plant-based food system. Uh, uh, Our products love your body. We love you back, sustainably sourced, (laughs) unique ingredients. Yes, I found the website. You know I love to do that, Patty. Thank you very much for that. And as Patty knows, but Tim and James don't, but as you may imagine, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, especially on coffee break days. That's Wednesday. So all I'm allowed to drink, haha, talk about the human, is a glass of cool, clear water. I have a Brita filter, and today, I have a green straw because it's beautiful out. The greenery is flourishing here. I'm on Long Island on the North Shore. The trees are green. The grass is green. And the flowers are enjoying the sunshine. So that's what is in my cup today. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we have a lot more. In case you haven't guessed, our topic today is humanizing HR. Is technology the answer? Well, we're talking about putting the human back in human resources. And so there's a people aspect to this as well. I think as Patty Fletcher just said a few minutes ago, 
months ago. Maybe it was James Sinclair. When HR invests in new processes, it needs to have a human focus. Don't forget, you are dealing with people. Hello. A lot more to talk about. We will get a little more into the tech side of the answer. Our very special guests today are Tim Aldrich at EY, James Sinclair at Enterprise Jungle, and Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to still be me after the break. 90 seconds. You can count them along with us, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, here we are. We just had our coffee break, and we are talking to three esteemed game changers, Tim Aldrich at EY, James Sinclair, and Enterprise Jungle, and Dr. Patricia Fletcher on being formal, Patty, at SAP Success Factors. Our topic today, very interesting, humanizing HR, is technology the answer? So using that as a jump-off point, jumping off, I'm looking at the notes Tim Aldrich at EY sent me before the show, and here's where we're going to start the roundtable. Tim told me, quote, HR and finance compete too much for C-suite attention. However, there's a healthy relationship between the two that helps control costs, improve credits, and rally the workforce. So let's rally around this one. Tim, why don't you tell us more, and then I'll invite James and Patty to add their point of view. So go ahead, Tim Aldrich. Thanks so much. Yeah, you know, this, this is a topic that you know, we encounter um, all the time when we're sort of supporting HR transformations. And I, I think you know, oftentimes it comes down to a division between kind of understanding uh, a business strategy versus how it's being executed across the workforce and, and, and enabled, right? You know, one of the things that, that we, we hear frequently is that there's, a, that there's kind of a, a broad enterprise in HR lifecycle that, that starts with establishing priorities, 
um, building out what that financial plan and operational model looks like for the enterprise, and then transitioning it to a people plan. You know, what, 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 what type of organization do we need to be successful there? Who do we have that we can develop into the skills that, that we need? Who, what, who do we need to bring in from the outside? And that, that conversation tends to sometimes be disconnected. And oftentimes at, at the C-suite level, when you get a COO, a CEO who's kind of listening to their, their, their lieutenants, you, you tend to find that you've got, you know, a, a CIO or a CFO kind of uh, competing, I'm sorry, a, a CCHR sort of competing in a way that they don't really need to, with that they're sort of harmoniously trying to get at the same goals. Um, so, so, so one of the things we, we try to encourage within these HR transformations is, is to take what, what both of those two perspectives within an enterprise are trying to achieve and bring them together. Very interesting. Is it a good, so it's a good competition? Is there a winner? Is it, is it the time of the year, the time of the day, or wherever the processes are? Is it, well, it's January. I think we'll let HR get most of the, no, it's July. We need to look at next year's investments. I think we'll let IT win. Is, is there, is there that kind of timing, or is it generally you know, homogeneous? I, I, I think it can be different for every organization, because mm-hmm. different organizations form and structure differently. But I think the, the real question is, uh, is it looked at as a winner or a loser? You know, we go back to some of the things we said earlier on in the show where, you know, fundamentally the conversation about how are we going to spend our money financially versus how are we going to work with our people is part mm-hmm. of that conversation of what is the company trying to do? How are the people participating in building to that, that success? And so when, when, when that conversation is had at an executive level in a productive way, it sets the stage for it to be had in a successful level at, at, at all levels of the enterprise. Um, and, and so I think probably the most healthy way to look at it is not as a, a winner or a loser thing, but what's the right way to manage that conversation through organization. Thank you very much. Very optimistic in there, Tim Aldrich. James Sinclair, love to get your thoughts on this. Point of view, please. Yeah, I think to nail the conversation, I think our view is to say very similar, which is the way you see success around transformation or the humanizing of companies in general, forgetting HR, is less silos. And we see the best projects are the ones where you have stakeholders from across the lines of business, across the organization, all coming in to help develop the best process or system or technology decision that's going to enable and benefit each of those stakeholders at the table. Uh, so it's not HR working out of the, the basement with no windows, coming up with ideas and trying to push them out. The various departments are then like, well, this doesn't apply to us, but instead having a more inclusive culture. And that way, by the time you see this C-level or executive level conversation, it's addressed all of the stakeholders organization-wide. And I think uh, that just uh, goes back to what Tim says, but uh, definitely agree with that point. Thank you very much, Dr. Patty Fleck. Okay. When you you look at, you know, some of the things you were saying around um, kind of um, extending that network outside of the traditional walls of the enterprise to some of your alumni, you know, at EY, we've got a a popular term, boomerangs, people who have left and come back. Ah. That type of dynamic and conversation, breaking down the silos, I I think includes some of that because you go out to those networks to get some perspective on, on how the enterprise is structured and running in ways that kind of makes you more, more, more grounded. Because a lot of times you'll, you'll get a, you know, a CEO or a CIO who will go back to some of their network and say, this is what's happening within my company, and get a totally different perspective. Thank you, Tim. Patty, got to get you in there. And I love that comment about the boomerangs. I've got to look that one up, Tim. Thank you for that. I, I don't know if I'll ever be a boomerang, but I'm certainly in a position to be if I wanted to. So, Patty Fletcher, what do you think? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that, that, that we're, all, we're all circling around something here. And what we're circling around is that the status quo that has been the divide between finance versus HR has got to change. I remember starting in the HR world many moons ago and realizing that I detested finance. <laughs> years in and didn't know why. And, and, you know, constantly being told you have to be able to talk in numbers in order to build a business case for whatever system that you wanted to put in for HR. Or you had to be able to, to talk to numbers when you wanted to talk to program, and yet finance was not learning the language of people. Fast forward to now where people are truly at the center of everything we do, whether it's the voice of the customer, the voice of the market, or the people who create our products, sell our products, market our products, do all of those things, you know, and everything in between. And that means HR must become the voice of the talent population, the people who are working for us, the people who boomerang in and out, um, the people who have yet to work with us and we want them to, partners, um, new employees, all that stuff, all the different types of talent pools. And so what that makes me think is how do we evolve the conversation um, and, and, you know, James and, and Tim talked a lot about getting folks on the same table. That's exactly where HR should look at finance and go, wow, how did a, a function go from being about controlling and accounting to be about strategic advising? When a strategy is set up, the CFO goes in and start talking strategy with money. We invest here, we divest there, right? And where you put your heat is where you want to grow the company. That's exactly the type of conversation that CHROs should be having at that same table together with finance, not after finance, together with finance. Where do we invest our people? Where do we have gaps in the talent that we need? What's going on in this part of the organization versus that part of the organization? And then HR is able to look at people and and get common ground around the different leaders who are part of that strategy of what is the role of people, who are they, what do they look like, and enabling them to be open that some roles might not require to have a, a full-time paid employee executive. Some we can actually bring in some alumni or other contingent workers. But really being able to evolve that role and have it be a partnership between the money and the people. Thank you, Patty. Great way of pulling this all together. I'm going to ask Tim, you have any comments on what Patty shared and anything you want to do to wrap up this part of our discussion, Tim? Oh, well, I, I love it. You know, the, the only thing I would add to it is, you know, when I think of HR, you know, that, that acronym tends to become its own term. But when, I, when you think about it as human relations, when you think about it in the terms, Patty, as you're describing, I think you, you give yourself the chance to say that it, it's not necessarily giving voice to something, but, a, you know, an organization within, an operation within the enterprise that can be the medium for that, that voice, because oftentimes it's, it's getting lost. What the people on the ground doing the work are seeing, needing, and, and really thinking about that could be benefiting um, the leadership. Thank you very much. And whoever mentioned boomerangs, I think it was you, Tim. I found an interesting quote here uh, on Twitter from somebody named Adrea, A-D-R-E-A Rubin. And the quote is, about 40% of boomers who retire take a break and then return to work typically within two years. That was from Barron's Online is also being quoted. Workforce welcomes re-entering boomers. Any quick thoughts on that, Tim? Because you brought that up. I like that. Well, 
I, I do think as a workforce, uh, the, I'll just call it the aging population. We often give it a dirty word. But, but the boomers coming back out of retirement, I think, is pretty typical. But the idea that, that somebody who is in your organization and leaves, but that's a divorce, I think is, 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 is a little bit older. You know, I think James was talking about changing modes and thoughts about what the relationship between the employee and the enterprise are. Sort of takes us to a world where you kind of hope people will leave and come back you know, with more experience and more expertise than they had had before, but that it is an ongoing relationship. Thank you very much. That's good news. That's really good news. Thank you very much, James Sinclair. I'm looking at your notes here. Uh, let's talk about, you had something very provocative in here, James, and I didn't have an explanation, but I think this will lead us in a good direction. You say, by the time the RFP has finished, a new version is out, and you added, we all understand the purpose an RFP plays, but at its core, it's fundamentally the greatest obstacle to enterprise innovation, the inability to say, ooh, I'd like to try that. Can you unravel this for us, please, James Sinclair? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're a smaller company and we obviously, when we're dealing with large enterprises, go through the RFP process and we have the same feeling that everyone on this call has when an RFP arrives, which is, ugh, uh, where do I start? And this is never an enjoyable process. And, and you end up having a conversation with procurement. And so I think there's two views I have. One is we see a lot of people in companies want to be innovative, want to try new things, want to develop better ideas, and see technologies that they want to grab onto and say, wow, I think this could be amazing in our organization. But they aren't able to in a majority of situations because for them to go to, ooh, I would like to try that, to actually trying it usually means an RFP process. It usually means negotiating through procurement. It usually means something that makes it more difficult to actually engage and deliver value. And so that was my kind of overall view of this. Thank you very much. Patty, you want to add to this? Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough, right, because RFPs enable large companies to do many things. <laughs> um, there are baseline needs that an RFP would need to cover, and in the topic of HR, that's the, the large efficiencies um, that, that you would have. I, I think for me, I, RFPs are necessary. They, they really shouldn't go away, especially for those... Mm, I can't stand saying non-value-to-add because we all want to get paid and make sure our information is right at the HR system. But those things that, that are, are more back office. When it comes to front office, um, things that are more around the talent side, the things that do change with time as workforces evolve, as expectations evolve, as who's within our organization evolves and we begin to expand that view. That's where the RFP, and I think James was was touching on that, that's where the RFP can be prohibitive because all of a sudden we're using this one-size-fits-all of what what can we do today versus Mm -hmm. switching our brain to what could be, what could be tomorrow, and taking a very entrepreneurial fail fast, fail early. And and we don't really see that very much. We do see the appization of HR more and more. As um, I'm, you know, sure Tim can can talk to, and James is certainly running those those organizations, um, and that's great. Um, and I think that we'll see more of that RFPs for that what could be um, kind of of innovation. Um, I that's a really really tough one because you are held back by what could be done today based on um, what do I already know, and that's that's a bit tough. So I would love to see a split 
between... You're 100% right. From a baseline process, you're 100% right. And I think that's exactly where it is. It's on the innovation, the move fast. Of You can't give, give a detailed SOW of what we're going to do over the next 90 days if those 90 days should be a joint process together, okay. trying stuff, testing stuff, iterating stuff. So that's where we see it's kind of a, a stumbling block. And the second thing we think about is between the time that you start the RFP and you make your decision, well, we're releasing a new version every three weeks. So it's not that the product has fundamentally changed, it's that you've gone through maybe six or seven cycles of technology of which the purchasers, the HR team that may be buying from us, are no longer privy to because you're now working through an RFP process. So it's more about how do you enable large organizations to maintain their processes that they need to, but at the same time be able to say, ooh, I want to try that. How do I accelerate that? And how do I work out if it's good or bad? And if I've done the entire RFP and it doesn't work for us, is that now a failure? So essentially, how can you I know, get to a no quicker? Well, mm-hmm. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And ultimately, when you look at an RFP process, it's, it's, it's designed for enterprise resistance and controls, right? Control on spending, control on investment. And it, if, if anything could stand to be humanized a bit, it's probably the procurement process. But I think, you know, when I look at an RFP, that oh, moment you mentioned, to me, that comes from not understanding why in the world that RFP has been written to say we want to achieve these things. And, and without knowing that why, it's very hard to help propose on how to be successful. And, and so that, 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 that 30 days, 90 days that you're talking about in, in the response and you know, orals and, and all that kind of stuff tends to be about getting to the why. Right. Thank you very much. Great, so great points. <laughs> I like that, James. Good rejoinder there. Uh, so we've had Patty comment on James's point, and we've had Tim comment. James, you want to wrap that one up? Very interesting conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's the combination of what everyone said. We all agree that it's getting to the why and just enabling companies to move a little bit quicker to take advantage of new technologies, innovative technologies, but also take that risk of trying something that may not work and without having to go through a massive process to find out that it may or may not work or you need to iterate on that. So I think it's about speed, innovation, and all of the conversations that Patty and Tim have both mentioned. Thank you very much. Patty Fletcher, a lot of notes you sent me. Let's look heavenward, Patty. Let's look to the cloud. You say in HR tech, the cloud enables the employee to take center stage. I see a lot of optimism, a lot of excitement in that statement. Patty, you say leaders are not leaders unless followers enable them to be. Why don't you describe that one for us, Patty, please? I have to say, by the way, speaking of quotes, I see that a lot with my name because I do think I might have been the first one to say it, but who knows, nothing's really original, so it's quite funny, Bonnie, that that we're using that. Um, Maybe another radio show. Um, Yeah, you know, I I think that this is is really important, and this really, really goes back to the quotes, right, in the beginning that um, that Tim and and James and I were, were talking about, and you, Bonnie, about we're doing this for the humans, and um you know, really, really interesting, and Tim, I, I think it was, was you who had called it human relations, and I hadn't heard that in a really, really, really long time, but that's exactly what this should be, um, not human resources, but human relations, and it does go back to why, why would the people responsible for the people, right, the strategy, the operationalization of those strategies, the enablement of those strategies with tools, why would they do anything that was not 
about developing the people working for them in a way that makes sense for the organization's strategy, whether it's performing their, their, their roles better, being able to work in teams versus being brought in as individuals, um, being judged as individuals, but being demanded to work in teams. That's really ridiculous. We've got to get around that. Um, or it's the tools that we put out there for them to develop themselves, to be fully engaged. And the only way to do that is by putting the employee in center stage. And so it kind of goes back to some of the stuff we already talked about. For example, with the RFP, those tend to be very process-focused. There should be more about what is going to enable our people to live the best versions of themselves while they are working, during their working hours? What could we enable them to do to live the best versions of their lives? We're seeing lots of focus now on health and well-being as an example, mm-hmm. about the total care for your workers. When you understand that a healthy worker is going to be a productive, engaged, and happy worker that your customers will, be- customers will benefit from, where you have acceleration around innovation and bringing products to market and all that stuff, Putting the employee at center stage starts looking a little bit different. The other piece here that's really, really important is the whole one-size-fits-all, right? And so we've seen this one-size-fits-all approach in HR for years, and it kind of makes sense from a scale and efficiency perspective. But for the first time ever, you, you talked about one of those populations, the baby boomers. For the first time ever, we have five generations in the workforce. That will go down to four. It's not so much about the generations because we in HR are very, very used to new generations coming in. We get it, right, enough already. But what's really important is that each of those generations, because of where they are in their lives, the things going on that are that's outside of work, as well as how that dictate how they're experiencing things inside of work, means that they require something a little bit different, each of them from the company, whether it's the compensation packages, the, the structure of their work, um, what they expect from leadership. And so when we put the employee in center stage, we start to think about how can we actually adopt and absorb these kinds of employee-based or workforce-based programs and technology in a way that it feels unique and special to the person using it so that they feel appreciated, they feel like they, they are enabled to actually succeed versus working against the system. How do we do that without having one million and one different types of programs, technology, and, and all of those kinds of multiple investments? Thank you, Patty. Very interesting. I'm going to go around the table to Tim Aldrich at EY. Tim, thoughts, please. I, I could talk about this probably all day long. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think when you when you look at the systems that the cloud solutions can enable, you know, one of the things that you're really trying to is get to the end user. You know, we, we'll hear that in terms of a consumer grade experience, but I would I, I would argue that I don't think we're doing that yet. I don't think a lot of the systems on the market have really realized that not the potential because um, if, you, if you sort of think to a different side of the industry where you're looking at an Internet of Things and trying to connect all the devices within an, or, an enterprise to make some smart decisions, whether it's manufacturing and stuff like that, I don't mean to dehumanize in this conversation, but I think one mm-hmm. of the things we see in that side of the world is a trust that machine will do what it's supposed to be doing. I think if we, if we really did some soul searching, one of the biggest challenges we see in HR is whether the enterprise trusts the people that are done on the ground. And when you have a system that truly does engage and encourages, encourages engagement to the, to the workforce, you, you get a completely different type of conversation versus something that is simply trying to touch everybody and drive automation by decentralizing process. 
because a process isn't, isn't necessarily going to solve the business problems and decentralizing it sometimes will only create more confusion. But if what you're doing there is you're truly putting the power of the process in the hands of the, the workforce, that's when you're going to get some significant difference. Thank you very much. Patty, you started a good one here. James, love to get your thoughts. Please join us. Yeah, I think for us, our, our view is deliver a engaging experience is kind of the headline. And for the company, you know, we have this view of giving without expectation, knowing that if you give without expectation, you get 10x in return. And I think when we think about uh, this concept of delivering an engaging or relevant experience, it means making it easy to use, making sure that you're competing for minutes against stuff. So how are you going to get the employee to give minutes to that application, that process, that requirement, and to make sure the consumerization of it, exactly as Tim kind of talked about, to make sure that it's engaging, but also that it's relevant. And I think that's what we're seeing more of, which is give me tools, technology, information relevant to who I am, what I do, and what I want to achieve, as opposed to here's the broad strokes across the entire organization, follow this path. And I think when you start to see some of the new cloud technologies enable not only some of the learning, but some of the uh, contextual relevance and a better experience, you start to see more engagement from essentially your tribe, uh, which, again, starts the process that allows HR to then build the processes behind it and to enable them to be curators versus creators. Uh, essentially, let your army go do their thing, and let's support that, and let's develop the processes around each of those channels. So, so I definitely agree with everyone, but I think that relevant and engaging experience is the key to, to all of it. Otherwise, it's just a burden. It, Thank you, James. Actually, yeah, Go ahead, Patty. Bonnie, I know mm-hmm. you're going to come to me, and I'm just jumping in. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. um, so I, I'd like to kind of put the gas pedal and press it down a little bit more. And I absolutely love, you know, consumer grade, as Tim was saying, about being or being relevant and engaging, as, as James was saying. And I'd love to say, but then let's take it a step further. Knowing, Tim, you're absolutely right. Very few are, are doing this right now and, and being successful at it right now. I, th- I think we need to, to really think about the fact that we have to move away from the adoption mindset that we've had for so many years from the on-premise world, where we were measuring, did they touch the system, right? Or is that seat just sitting on the shelf? Or is that bit of functionality just not, not being used and, and sitting on the shelf? And instead, switch it to being essential, not not relevant, but essential. In other words, I cannot do my job without using this solution that I enjoy, right? So not because somebody's telling me to do it, but because Mm -hmm. I truly need it, kind of like I need Google to make a decision. I really do. I Google everything. So do you, Bonnie, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and I need a content aggregator because there's just too much damn, like, news out there, right? Sorry, I just wore. Um, and so it's really, really <laughs> important that they become, we start looking at the stuff that we put out there to people, as to James's point, being relevant to them, right? Who I am, it was made for me, but being essential to their work, because we can't forget one of the best things we get when people engage with the tools is the data, right? The transactional data that systems are starting to learn from as we put out smart applications, as we're starting to learn from from a broader perspective of what's working, where do we have a problem, how do we pick it? But that won't happen. We won't get that level of amazing engagement unless it is essential to what the work is and the decisions that they're making. 
Thank you, Patty. And you took us right into our predictions round. And instead of just asking our three panelists to look into the crystal ball, Tim at EY, James at Enterprise Jungle, and Patty at SAP Success Factors, I'm going to do a little something different here. I'm going to ask the three of you to focus on Okay, here's a a question that often comes up. Whose job is it anyway? We're talking about HR needs to. HR should. HR has to. HR is supposed to. Why isn't HR fill in the blank? Okay, so let's focus on the next couple of years, maybe around 2020, popular year 2020. You can hear shades of Barbara Walters in there somewhere. Sorry, Baba Wawa. Whose job is it to take notice of conversations like ours, Tim, James, and Patty? Whose job is it? Is it the CHRO? Is it the employee? who just got hired? Is it the boomeranging boomer taking a break that coming back into the workforce? Whose job is to say, okay, guys, it's time. What are you going to do about it? So let's talk about how will the responsibility for HR to be humanized? How will that change in the next couple of years? So I can give you each 60 seconds for predictions. Forgive me, but that's all the time we have left. So Mr. Tim Aldrich, ready for you. Prediction, 60 seconds. You're on. Well, I think, honestly, it's going to be everybody because I think in a a decentralized world of working, you're going to have anybody who is accountable for using a team of people to get results needing to better understand and work with them. And anybody who wants to be a part of a team that's effective and achieving a vision, both sides of that are going to need a system, need tools that allow them to have a productive conversation. So everybody needs to be asking this question, what are we doing? The way that we're working to work together better as a workforce and as a people to get the right people to develop the people that we have um, and to make it relatable to the vision of the organization we work for. Thank you very much. Very eloquent, Mr. Aldrich. James Sinclair, I have exactly 60 seconds for you. Go. Yeah, not as eloquent, but I think it's everybody, but it's more (laughs) explicitly it's me. It's my job to make sure that the business that I'm in is operating at the correct capacity, is using the right tools, that the teams that I am on are being brought together in the best way. So I think it's explicit on the individual uh, to stand up and say, it is my job to run this business better and to take more ownership of the companies they work in and to raise their hands more and to take a stand more and to take risks more. And I think that's one of the things you do see out of boomerangs, people that come back to organizations. They know where your skeletons are. So when they come in, they come in like a bull and say, this is what I want to change. I'm coming back, but I don't want the status quo. This is what I've seen on the outside. Uh, And so I think it's it's my job as an individual to do that for my business. And it's each individual's job to do it for theirs. doesn't matter where they are in the food chain. Thank you very much. Very well put. You were eloquent, Mr. Sir Sinclair. That was very beautifully put, so don't be shy. Patty Fletcher, I've got 60 seconds for you. Patty, go ahead, chime in. Yeah, so mine is an and, 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 and. Um, absolutely agree. When we think about HR, the first person I think about are those people managers, the people who have to deliver on whatever those expectations or goals are, and how is HR serving them and in, in, in working with the folks who they work for. And absolutely that personal accountability. You were so right, James, to bring that up, because we do a lot of finger pointing. You should change. You should, you should. And the truth is, Nobody changes when you tell them to, right? And so that's an issue. What I I think when it comes to, while all of that's true, we do need to be rowing the boat in the same direction, pointing our arrows on the, you know, the same bullseye, right? That is really, really, really important. And that, to me, becomes an evolutionary part of the role of HR going back to a a few topics ago on um, on this program 
um, around HR being the one to bring the people together, the common ground, whether it's the heads of lines of business together with finance, together with, with other functional leaders on, okay, we agree these are the priorities, we agree this is how we're going to address it from a people strategy perspective and leaving room for innovation and not just status quo business as usual and, and busting those status quo together. And then the other piece is when we do have individual, and, and James, I'm one of those people. I worked in a, a company for a very, very long time. I left. I came back, and it was with a totally different set of eyes. And there's a reason I went back to that company. And there's absolutely around these things aren't working, these things are, um, knowing full well that not 100% of what I said was going to be adopted, but I was going to work that way. And to be able to have a centralizing kind of bring us together without constantly looking for alignment because that's going to kill all of us, but someone who can bring us all together on the focus of progress, not perfection. Patty, wrap, wrap. Beautiful. Thank you, dear. Sorry, we are totally out of time. Tim Aldridge, EY, thank you so much. James Sinclair, go back to your vacation and enjoy that sludgy coffee. I'm jealous. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. Wonderful conversation. Patty, I think we hit a lot of hot buttons in here, and thanks to our three panelists. So I'm just going to say, here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Tim Aldridge. Be like James Sinclair. Of course, be like Daddy pa- Dr. Patty Fletcher. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Go out and be a game changer today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, with a new episode of, I don't know, whatever our Game Changer show is at 10 a.m., and we'll have Think Big, Work Small at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Tune in, the business channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one, and go help HR be more human. It's your job. Signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 